This is the Pickle Planet Podcast with Jenna and Tosh. Sit back and get a drink. Let's talk about parenting and how to survive it. This week, we're very excited to have Love Paws Grooming and Bakery as our sponsor for the Pickle Planet podcast. You can visit them on Pine Glen Road in Riverview. They're in the same strip mall as the RBC and Five Bridges for all your pet needs, including supplies, Baked in-store and decorated in-store dog treats, cat treats, and you name it, it's there. Don't forget, you can get all your grooming needs as well. Check them out online. Their website is lovepawsgbs.com. Welcome to the Pickle Planet Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Tosh? Wonderful. If you're wondering why, it sounds a little bit off today because we're actually doing our very first uh, podcast via video chat because of storm days. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Storm days and technical frustrations. (laughs) Yeah, mm, to say the least. I had a couple of drinks over that last one. (laughs) The the word frustration might play into some of what we're going to talk about. The technical frustration (laughs) or the storm day? Because I might have a couple of drinks over the storm days. (laughs) (laughs) There's been too many. (laughs) There there has been too many. There has been. So we have a couple of guests in the studio, or not really in the studio. Uh Everybody's in their own home today. All right, so we are super excited to have with us Katie Kelly, who has been a guest on the podcast before all about uh, pelvic health and wonderful topics that we've talked to in the past and uh, she's brought along Bonnie Fisher. Hello. And Bonnie, hello. So maybe Bonnie if you want to tell folks what it is that you do. Yeah absolutely I'd love to. I manage a sexual health research lab at Mount Allison University which is just a local university here in New Brunswick. So we basically research anything and everything related to sexual health and sexual relationships. We've been known to have in-lab studies which means that participants come into the lab and we look at things like sexual arousal and this includes things like genital measures Uh, and typically we try to um, stress these participants out or induce anxiety in some way and then measure their sexual response so that's fun yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) and interesting (laughs) Um, we've done studies on sexual education um, monogamy and non-monogamy in relationships we've done sexting stuff basically if you can think of it we've uh, Uh, probably tried to research it because just anything involving the subject of sex is very cool I think and relationships obviously yeah (laughs) your husband must be thrilled (laughs) (laughs) you'd think that A lot of the in-lab studies involves like uh, we have to show participants porn so to induce arousal and stuff like that. And so like I come home and he's like, oh, what'd you do? And I'm like, watch porn all day. (laughs) (laughs) Someone I know is like, that is my dream job. How do I do this? It's just like when you see the same one all day, it's like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Katie, what about uh, what about you, Katie? With um, maybe someone that didn't catch your your last podcast with us, tell everybody what what you do and the amazing magic that you do. Sure. Although I don't feel like I can compete with Bonnie's introduction there. Um, <laughs> right. Who can? I wasn't trying to one up anybody. <laughs> So I am a pelvic floor physiotherapist, which means I'm a physiotherapist who subspecializes in issues that occur in the pelvis. So 
things like leaking urine or feces or someone who has a pelvic organ prolapse or issues around pregnancy or in the postpartum period or people who have painful genital conditions. That's kind of all my bag that I work with. That's what I like to help people out with. That that sounds way, way more depressing than Bonnie's day. (laughs) I swear it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I know it's cool. I, I do research with PD as well involving genital pain. So sometimes yes. that research is a little bit depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so the focus for today's talk, because I know we could obviously talk for hours about all the interesting things you guys know from a, you know, not just a personal standpoint, but, you know, a research scientific knowledgeable standpoint. But what we wanted to talk about today was that kind of almost taboo topic of sex after Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not discussed a whole lot right so it's really important that i think we get this conversation going okay maybe i'll jump in then yeah please do i will i will say that i do see uh women come to my office a lot in regards to returning to sex after baby i think that the knowledge that's out there right now is that some women think they need to wait till the six week mark and they get that follow-up appointment with their doctor. They may or may not have a pelvic exam during that appointment. And then it's kind of, we're good to go. Everything should be fine, which isn't necessarily the case. That six-week appointment is a bit of an arbitrary time frame, and it doesn't really have anything to do with whether the physiological tissues have healed, whether mentally you're prepared, and a bunch of other factors. So the common complaints that I usually see after intercourse, the most common one is pain for, um, for intercourse after having a baby. And that can be related to tearing or scars that happen during a vaginal delivery, bruising and swelling in the area, but it also can happen to women who've had C-sections. And I think that's another big myth out there is that women who've had C-sections are fine. It was easy, no problem. Things should be great to go down there. Uh, And that's simply not the case either. So um, the incisions at the vaginal opening or the scars at the vaginal opening need to heal, but also the uterus itself during a cesarean section was cut. And that scar, although it sits above the vaginal opening, can pull on tissues and it can be tender if there's pressure on the pelvis or the abdomen. So we see problems that arise in that regard as well. And then on top of all this, uh, a lot of women are lactating or producing milk and pumping or feeding babies or their hormones are still in the kind of post-pregnancy realm. And that creates a lot of vaginal dryness. And I think that that's not warned. People are not warned about that enough. I personally believe the hospital should be handing out lubrication at the door. I think you should get a goodie bag after having a baby. (laughs) And it's just, that's something that needs to be mentioned. Everybody needs to use lube after having a baby. There you go. All those people out there going, what am I going to get my friend as a baby gift? Get the blue. Katie says blue. Add to the list. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But then that that brings a question because there's so many different kinds, right, Katie? Mm. Like what what's the best kind, quote unquote? Yeah. So this is this is what I call my lotions and potions talk, and I do have this (laughs) lots and lots of people in the office. So there are really three different types of lubricants that we see most commonly. And the first one that everyone is thinking about when they think about going to the drugstore and buying a lube is a water-based lubricant. So that's what you would typically see from KY or Astroglide or Durex or any of those brands. Everyone likes to think because it has water, that means it's great like water, it's natural and water is organic and it's fantastic. But the issue with water is that um, a lot of things can be mixed into water that might not be so pleasant for the vaginal tissues. Certainly when it comes to a less expensive type of water-based lubricant, 
we see that there tends to be things like parabens and glycerins and that they're not pH balanced. So it can actually lead to a lot of irritation. And women who are having pain with intercourse, because they already are dry, when they use a water-based lubricant, sometimes what happens is that the water will become absorbed too quickly. So you'll almost feel it become sticky or tacky and it can make things feel worse. Or you'll get the urge that you have to reapply mid-event, which isn't convenient all the time, right? So if you are going to buy a water-based lubricant because you really just think you need a little bit of help in that department, then I do recommend going and getting one that's paraben and glycerin-free. And you're probably best to get one from a nice sex shop, which when they're nice, we're supposed to call them intimacy boutiques. Ooh, so if yeah. you go to an intimacy <laughs> boutique, <laughs> or you can order them on Amazon. Although I had a patient last week that told me her lube order went to her neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't open it, so that's good. Uh, the second type of lubricant. You never got the package back if he had opened it. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, no, that never came. <laughs> I swear. The second type of lubricant that you can get is a silicone-based lubricant. And this is the one that generally I recommend to anyone who's having discomfort with sex at all. Silicone sometimes sounds a little bit scary because it's a chemical. I mean, it's a chemical, it is. But the thing about silicone is that it doesn't play well with other chemicals. There's really not a lot that you can mix in with silicone. So when you flip over and look at the ingredient list, it tends to just have um, dimethicone, which is the science-y word for silicone, and then maybe one or two other ingredients in there. And the nice thing about silicone, because it's not water-based, it does not absorb. So you just need a small amount. And I usually warn people, be careful, because if you go from a water base to a silicone base, like you might fall off. That's <laughs> <laughs> a whole other problem. <laughs> yeah. Slippery. So that is generally the one that we recommend for anyone who has any discomfort. And I should give a little warning. With silicone-based lubricants, they can stain clothing and sheets. But my clinical expertise has found that the stains typically occur if a male is putting it on himself and gets it all over his hands and then wipes his hands on the sheet. Yeah, that yes. tends to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can envision that, I'm sure, sheet. right? Yeah. yeah. I so wish people could see the visuals right now. Yeah. yeah. Hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that talking with her hands. So, yeah. <laughs> so put a towel down if you love your sheets. And there's also some advice, although it's a little bit old, my advice is to be careful if you're going to use a silicone-based lubricant on a silicone toy or a silicone medical product because silicone on top of silicone can wear away the surface of the toy, making it difficult to clean, and then you're more likely at getting some sort of infection. But typically, um, sex toys made nowadays are actually made out of a really high-quality silicone, so you can probably get away with using it, but I would do a little test patch on a non-important part of your sex toy before you do that. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thirdly, people can use an oil-based lubricant. So over the last number of years, it's been more and more common that women will ask me if they can use a coconut oil or um, an olive oil. And I have a very difficult time recommending it because in my profession, it hasn't been tested to be used as such. But I do know that there are local gynecologists that recommend it. I do know there are loads of my patients that are using it. I have some women that find when they use an oil-based lubricant that um, it's great they use it as a moisturizer as well. Others will find that once there's oil in there, they have a difficult time 
Um, the body has a difficult time clearing it out, so they might be at risk of having more vaginal infections, but it really seems to depend on the person. Uh, but what I really do need to mention is that oil-based lubricants are not condom compatible. So please use a different form of birth control yeah. or uh, STD <laughs> prevention if that is the route that you are going to go. That's my, that's my speech on lubricants. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So many things I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So interesting. That's what I was like in my head. I'm like, there's one, there's one kind. That's it. Yeah. I, I knew there. Were, I knew there were two. I knew there were two. But mm-hmm. now you're talking about three, and like, yeah, yeah, all those other things I never would have thought of, like whether it would impact toys and all that kind of stuff. Like, no, in my head, it's still just that like junior high school sex ed talk. Don't use the lube that's going to break the condom. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really yeah, sure which one that is, but the one that. yeah, like, I'm pretty sure it was on the test. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a multiple choice question on the test. <laughs> I am sure that I did not get taught about lube in high school. No, I don't remember that either. Like, if we learned about it, you're right. It would have been as a like, if you lose lube, be careful because it might impact contraception because yes. sex ed yes, is focused on don't get pregnant, right? As opposed yeah. to being like a pleasure-based sex ed, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. No, no, no. It was not that. So not like, not <laughs> use lube because it feels better. Just don't use yeah. this lube with condoms or you might get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two different messages. Yeah. Yeah. We needed a grown-up sex ed class. Oh my goodness. Yes. Totally. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, that, that's basically what you guys do in my life. Right. <laughs> like, you have I, don't, I don't know if I advertise you have it. <laughs> Good luck. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you sex ed. <laughs> No, I really think there needs to be sexual education to the greater public around for women for um, the like pregnancy, like fertility issues, postpartum issues. And then I think menopause needs a whole other talk. That's another podcast, but I do think that menopause needs a sex ed talk as well. I think that you get that sex ed talk from Grace and Frankie if you watch that show on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sex changes over the course of our lifespan, right? Our bodies change, our hormones change, and you have to kind of adapt to it. The same thing isn't going to work you know, when you're in your 50s, 60s, or 70s, that may have worked when you were in your teens, right? um, And people don't talk about it. It's hard to find this information. So it's, it, (laughs) to talk about it is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. So what, uh, what other tips and tricks do you have for us out there then? Like, what's the, Oh, yeah, seriously. You should see the smile on Tasha's face. Yeah. Like, what What about I learn? Well, well, we were talking, like, primarily the, like, you know, after pregnancy kind of sex. So, you know, are there certain positions, certain conversations, certain things that should happen? Okay, well, I think that first I will bring up that not everyone is ready to have sex after six weeks. I think that should just be clearly stated for a number of different reasons. There's this pressure for people to feel that like it's like six weeks happen and then it's normal to want to have sex again. Yes. Right. In, in psychology, we talk about, uh, we, we don't really like the term normal or because, you know, people will say it's, it's normal to have sex at this time or this time or whatever. And we find that there's such a broad range of normal. And basically what we say is we, we talk about distress. So if it's causing a person distress that they're not having sex or if the sex is causing them pain and then that's causing them distress, but well, that's a problem. Um, but if they don't want to have sex at six weeks and that's totally fine with them, great. If they don't want to have sex at 10 months and that's totally fine with them, that's fine too. Okay. So it's, it's how much, you know, uh, of an, a problem that it is for them 
or the partner, if it's causing distress to their relationship, well, then that's an issue as well, right? But as far as it being normal, as far as, as far as it being a normal time to have sex after you have a baby, there really is none. Okay, so it's just how it kind of how you feel about it and how it impacts you and your relationship. Well, and there's so many things going on at that time too. I mean, not only are you interest, introducing a new family member, so now the relationship between the parents might have changed, but it might be the relationship in a whole family if this is a second, third, fourth, or fifth child that's coming in, right? right. Guidelines are now also to have baby sleep in room with mom. Uh, right and a lot of people co-sleep to some degree as well so sometimes it's difficult to have intimacy if you're worried yeah. about a baby <laughs> yeah. being right next to you in bed right um and then there's just all of the secondary mentalities and sentiments that we have about being touched out at the end of the day right i've been puked on and spit on and pooped on all day and then a spouse might come home and they want to have intimacy and that's the furthest thing from your mind there's sleep deprivation there's stress there's Lack of social contact and lack of showering. One is like a little bit of alone time, and and you feel like the least sexiest person on the planet because you've been puked on and pooped on all day long, and you haven't showered, and you know all this stuff is going on, right? So, I mean, to me, I often address sex drive with my patients because until there's a sex drive there, we know that pain can persist. It's really difficult to produce your own natural lubrications and to have all the proper physiological changes that need to happen in the vagina to receive something if you don't really want to have sex in the first place. Our brains that's what brain. Bonnie gives. Bonnie does give some tips and tricks, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, they work for some people, for sure. But uh, so, as Katie mentioned, our brains and our bodies are obviously really um, closely, they're really intertwined, right? So, if you're not in the mood in your head, then, you know, your genitals probably aren't going to be in the mood either, right? <laughs> Basically. And so um, there are some things that kind of help to try to get us in the mood. And the first thing is sort of sometimes putting when your partner comes home after a day and like wants to engage in intercourse and you feel like you just kind of want to shut it down. Um, that's okay. You shouldn't be having sex if you really don't want to. But sometimes putting a different like timestamp on it might be helpful. So instead of just shutting down your partner and being like, not today, and that's the end of it, and the discussion, which can sometimes be a little hurtful, might come across as being hurtful towards your partner, you can you can tell them. So conversation right from the get-go is always important, right? Have an open conversation with your partner. So you may want to say to your partner, Hi, you know, I really don't feel like it today. It's been a long day, blah, blah, blah. I just kind of need some alone time. But you know what? Maybe in a couple days, this Saturday night is looking fairly open. We can get a babysitter, whatever. <laughs> Let's try for that, right? And so it helps your partner um, by not feeling uh, totally, totally shut down and totally dismissed um, by saying, like, you know, giving them a reason and then giving them another an option, essentially, right? And um, and even if that day comes around and it's you know it's still not good for you, that's okay. But again communicate okay talk to your talk to your partner but essentially if you kind of give it a you know a, a time you can sort of start to wrap your head around it and get excited about the event okay um and so sometimes i say to people like when they wake up in the morning you can start like right from when you wake up it, you, you can kind of engage in this foreplay right so you can maybe send some sexy texts or start having some kind of sexy banter with your partner or sexy emails or phone calls right um and it just Anything light and flirty, even starting early, can help, you know, bring things along. So by the time it is actually, you know, time to engage in intimacy in the evening, um, you guys are just really amped up and ready to go because you've kind of been thinking about it and talking about it all day. So that can kind of be helpful. 
Um, sometimes just getting out of, uh, you know, your, your mom clothes, which I like, don't, I, I'm not knocking mom clothes. I, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can, <laughs> the listeners can't see, but my podcast host can see yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I'm sporting lots of mom clothes right now. <laughs> We're all in hoodies. Yeah. We all are. Yeah. All, yeah, all four of us have hoodies. <laughs> I kind of want to yeah. feel, um, sexy because, you know, a lot of times we feel that a lot has changed with their bodies. We don't sort of feel all beautiful and glamorous all the time and that's totally normal and totally fine but you might want to you know have your shower sort of pamper yourself a little bit get into something um, that makes you feel pretty makes you feel sexy once you feel the part then you will you know want to engage probably in you know um, more intimacy with your partner I've even mentioned before, um, you know, we all have our chores that we have to do during the day, you know, sometimes getting into that sort of sexy outfit or even doing your chores makes you feel a little prettier. Maybe not if your kids are, you know, there. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have, I've always said, you know, put on some heels and some sexy underwear and go back in the house and you just feel <laughs> a little better about yourself. And it, it sounds silly. Like I know even saying it sounds silly, but really if, if you do it, like you just sort of feel fun and flirty and and you know sometimes obviously this isn't going to work for everybody but it's just little things that you can try that might kind of help move things along and make, make you kind of get back to that point that you want to be in in your sex lives right well and to me in when I work with women in this time frame the other thing is um, foreplay is important right I will oftentimes have to write on a prescription pad 20 minutes of foreplay required and hand that to a partner, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it really does take a certain amount of time physiologically for women to be ready to have sex, right? You were asking about positions. I, I like, yes, I can address positions, but I think the number one thing for women to realize too, when they're in pain is that there is so much talk around doing Kegels in the postpartum period. Right. Yes. And I get it. People are panicked. They don't want to pee themselves. They don't want to poo themselves. We need to know how to Kegel. Um, and in case anyone is curious, the way that I teach a Kegel <laughs> is to pretend like you've got a jelly bean in your vagina and one in your anus and don't just squeeze your beans, lift them up to your eyes. That's a review, but it's <laughs> equally important to put your jelly beans back down, right? Yeah. You relax your jelly beans. <laughs> Drop the jelly beans. Yeah. I know you can't see my hand gestures, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> But they're so memorable. They, they, they make the point perfectly. <laughs> they really do. And there's, and anytime she talks about it, you can't help but do it. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. anybody <laughs> listening right now. Yeah. I expect everybody in the podcast world to be kegeling right now. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody so put please. your jelly beans down. <laughs> because no, you not. should not be putting things into a vagina that <laughs> is kegeling. Because yeah. what will happen is that will make the vaginal opening smaller. And if it's dry in there, it will give you that frictiony, burning, tearing sensation that so many women report. So you want to make sure that you know how to shut those muscles off. And also that's where a good lubricant will come in handy, right? Another thing is if a woman has experienced pain before in the past as well, so if, if they've already had, tried to have intercourse and this is what they're feeling, then the next time they try, they often anticipate this pain again. So again, they're going to have, you know, they're going to Kegel and it's just going to, you know, make it worse and kind of become this whole cyclical thing, right? It snowballs out of control really, really quickly. So I almost tell women like, if you've tried to have intercourse two or three times and it's still painful, 
go try the lubricant. And then if it, if that doesn't help, then it's probably time for a checkup to make sure you do in fact know how to shut off those muscles because after delivery, there can be a little bit of confusion with that muscle down there. So Bonnie's right. If you're anticipating pain, you're going to clench. If you're anticipating being punched in the face, you're going to clinch. It is the same thing that happens down there. So it's a physiological protective response that's happening. And what I've also learned um, from you is that uh, a lot of people think they know how to kegel properly and really don't know how to kegel properly. And and, um, I remember one time I was, uh, Katie was doing an external exam on me and she was like, okay, kegel. And I was like, I am. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) And she could just tell this by having her hands on my abdomen. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and, and, you know, I, I, I thought it was, and so she explained it to me and okay. And, and there, you can definitely feel a difference yeah. between what you think you're doing and what is actually correct. So the position recommendations that we give are based on being able to relax those pelvic floor muscles, especially in the postpartum period. Right. So for some women, they feel more relaxed if they're on their back or on their side, right? They don't have to hold up their body weight. Um, I'll often get people to prop up their knees with either a rolled towel or kind of pull the pillows beside if you're in a more missionary type position. So hold up your body limbs for you so you can relax um, and really let go of those pelvic floor muscles so you will experience less pain. Some women prefer to be in a more, um, more of a controlled position. So a woman on top can be better because then they can control the direction, the pace of entry, they can stop if they need to. So it really is whichever position you feel is going to give you the capacity to have good control over your muscles and that you're in control of the situation. It's probably the best one to start with. And then the other thing I want to talk about is that things that worked before pregnancy might not work after pregnancy. We would like to think that everything magically goes back to the exact same position. (laughs) That is not always the case. So it's funny that even, you know, movement of a couple centimeters can be uh, a difference. So some women will find they have to kind of prop up one bum cheek. Sometimes they'll fold a towel and put one bum cheek on um, with a towel under it. It's encouraging people to play around positions that are going to work and to not expect something that was really that was really working for them before to still be successful afterwards. Absolutely. And I think it's a a matter, too, of, again, a communication with your partner. Don't be afraid to say, like, that position hurts. Yeah. And we need to try something new because it's right. not fun for either. Right. If, if things aren't fun. <laughs> you know, sometimes if, if women aren't explaining this to their partners and they find out later, they're totally blown away because they had no idea. Right. And, and they don't feel good about making their partner hurt or feel bad. Right. And, and they would rather seek a solution than have their partner be in pain. So well, especially yeah. when, yeah, early, when for sure. yes. Well, yeah. And when the solution is, Oh, let's try something fun and different and oh it might even include looking online at lube that Katie recommended. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of writers would be excited to do that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Lube is kind of a non-threatening first choice of like I don't know what uh sexual accessories to bring into the room, right? Like it's sure. the non-threatening one, right? And I think the other thing uh that I see clinically in my office are then women, this is a little bit more of the mi- minority women who feel that they lack sensation after having intercourse. And I don't, I say it's a minority. I don't know that it's less common. I think less women seek help for it. Pain will motivate them to come and get help. 
the lack of sensation it's kind of like mm. so with the lack of sensation we do find that if you start to strengthen pelvic floor muscles that that does seem to help a bit and that you might need to find stimulation in different areas that it once might have worked for you before so a lot of women most women prefer and have orgasm from clitoral stimulation there is about i think around 30 percent of women that can have orgasm from vaginal penetration alone but you might need to examine both of those areas again or other erogenous zones that might work for you Right. 30%? So more exploring. Is that like, yeah. <laughs> that's a small number. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, adult sex ed classes. I think it would help so many relationships if just people did have to go to some kind of adult sex ed class. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember there... one of you telling me that you got your sex ed from an 80s show. Yeah, yeah, that was me. <laughs> you actually thought that was a good idea. <laughs> that was all Jenna that was, there. <laughs> no, that was that was my grade eight health teacher or grade nine. I can't remember. I think it was, I think it was grade eight. But yeah, no, it was Degrassi. We used to watch Degrassi, and I I actually looked it up after I talked about it because you guys are all like, what? What? <laughs> no, I not get Degrassi. You can find it. It was actually sent out as curriculum. There was yeah. like whole lesson plans around episodes of Degrassi and then these other like outtakes that were done with the cast from Degrassi. And so it'd be these people that you were used to watching on TV as these characters who are the same age as you and whatever, talking about what it's like to get pubic hair and what it's like to have sex. And that was as close as we probably ever came to those conversations of, you know, lube for something other than impacting confidence. Right. <laughs> right? But it was, it was the best thing in my mind in terms of like actually reaching a teenage audience oh my gosh yeah Yeah. but like you said like we need it now as adults too like you're talking about like grace and frankie and like you know let's just get the crew of degrassi back together to do adult sex ed videos for us they probably had babies now yeah (laughs) i think what's joey jeremiah still like (laughs) a lot of them are still in the film industry i'm sure it wouldn't take them much to put together some curriculum for us yeah (laughs) Um, please please. we've done a lot of sex education research in our lab and Mm -hmm. published some work and some of the findings are really interesting um and one of the things that we found is that in the sample we looked at we were we were sampling um university students and so they were reflecting on their sex education that they would have received either in junior high or high school and the people who said that they learned the most from their sex that they felt that they learned the most from their sex education often scored the lowest on sexual knowledge quiz. And the people who felt that they learned more from informal sources, so this could be the internet or friends and family and books and things like that, um, they scored much higher on sexual knowledge. So there's a a few things that you could, you know, take away from that. you know, one is that maybe the sex education that in schools isn't great, it needs to be better. And that is definitely a possibility. I know it's talked a lot about the media. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm not gonna comment one way or the other on that. <laughs> Another thing is that possibly these people who are saying like, yes, I learned a lot from school and that's where I got the most of my knowledge. Their knowledge could have been from five and 10 years prior to when they're doing these sexual knowledge quizzes, right? Whereas the other people who are saying like, no, most of my knowledge has come from informal sources in the internet and blah, blah, blah. There's a a chance that they're continuing their sex education essentially, right? So it might be more self-taught and you know, you hope that they're looking at reliable resources and blah, blah, blah. But essentially they're still kind of keeping up with stuff. And so they're scoring, potentially scoring higher on the knowledge quizzes as a result of this. 
Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to, yeah, like continued education is good. <laughs> Keep yeah. up with it. <laughs> Find the group. Yes. Yeah. Because we went like, well, for our age, like, we went from Degrassi in junior high and then like the, the next big like dose of reality I can recall when it comes to sex ed stuff was going to university and Sex with Sue was on TV. Oh, yeah. Sex with Sue. Right? Like that was, that, that's how everyone I knew found out anything they hadn't already just discovered on their own. Yes. <laughs> right? And right? Things everyone you gathered want together. To oh yeah, there was a lot more you learned. Yeah. <laughs> it was great because it was I like, saw those dolls do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was great because she was just one of those, like, you could like, you know, send in those questions that you weren't going to say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Are, are Katie and I allowed to plug our podcast? Yeah, really I, was, yes. I was actually just oh going to say that. Yes. Yeah. Because that's kind of essentially what we're trying to do now with, with yeah. the podcast that Katie and I have. And it's uh, called questionbox.ca. And so it's geared towards sex education for adults. Um, you know, mostly we, we kind of try to uh, promote, you know, women to write in and talk to us. But you know what? I've been learning and a lot of the feedback that I'm getting is that men have been listening and male partners have been listening and it's been going really well. And they say like, thank you for this because now I kind of understand how my partner feels post baby and that she's going through these things and I didn't know that. And so I, I was really happy to hear that feedback. So essentially what you do is you just uh, go to our website, questionbox.ca. And if you have a question uh, about anything sex, uh, pregnancy, genital related, um, send it to us and uh, we'd like to talk about it on our podcast. And kind of give it's you all anonymous. We don't know. Right. We don't know who sent it so we can't answer you via email yeah. <laughs> have had people ask Important questions and like i can't answer you back this yeah. is <laughs> i don't know who you I mean, are means, yeah. if you're comfortable sending us an email if that's how you want to go we like that's fine <laughs> we won't say your name on air or anything but if you submit um, to the box we have, we have a survey website yeah we have a survey website where when you ask a question we can't identify you in any so that's that's the, the route to go <laughs> it's definitely uh, as a listener it's a really really great podcast i love it yeah. i was just to say i can't wait to hear all the questions you're gonna get now <laughs> it's gonna be awesome um maybe another good online resource that we'll mention right now is a researcher in halifax that bonnie and i have worked with before named dr natalie rosen and her lab has a really great online resource for women after they've had babies they do a lot of research with that population and the hashtag and the the catchphrase to Google is post baby hanky panky. <laughs> and she has these little clips, these little kind of cartoonish clips that will tackle certain subjects. So I think it's a really good resource. Yeah, for really common um, subjects that couples deal with, right? And, uh, and they're all research-based. So a lot of this stuff has been researched in their lab when they've been, um, you know, talking to couples and uh, doing surveys on, you know, uh, new parents and their sex lives. So it's all it's all good information research based and they have a ton of links as well to great articles and things that you that mm. are all it's all good information. It's all research based. So you know what you're getting is uh, some credible accurate accurate yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and fun little videos, videos too though. Yeah. I think an important thing to mention too is that like we're talking about uh, you know say the six weeks out after baby but and none of this six years yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was gonna say <laughs> like if you are like me and you're four and a six-year-old and you're still too tired or have no drive 
that's normal too. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, right guys? That's normal? Yes, yes, you're normal. Yes, we talked about normal. <laughs> oh, yes, right. we did talk about normal. That's right. No normal. If it's no normal, if, if, if it's something you want to change, well, then obviously, then that's an issue. And then we, you know, we try to look at some things that you can do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes totally normal. Yes. Lots of other people going through the same thing. Yes. 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 We're all tired. Yeah. Parents yes. Tired, We're all tired. And it's hard to get into the mindset of wanting to have sex or be intimate when you're in that. No. I have to agree, though, that one of the best tips that I think works that is like, yeah, cost free <laughs> is that whole just take the time. Yeah get a shower, put on something that makes you feel good, whatever that is, mm -hmm. and just think about getting together and yes. having that intimate moment. And chances are that it might happen because yeah. I know, yeah, it I makes a world of difference if I just like, yeah, get a shower and like get dressed get to go out somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, you, just, you just feel better. Katie, I know we talked about it before when you mentioned sort of like clothing therapy, right? Yeah, we call it clothing therapy and physio. <laughs> I love it. Can I get a prescription for that too? Yeah. 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 Go yeah. get a new wardrobe. Yeah. And then and sometimes women get um anxious because especially especially if they if they have uh pain during penetration. Um but you know, the whatever you're doing with a partner doesn't always have to be penetrative sex, right? There's other ways to be intimate. And so um, you know, kind of keep that in mind as well. If you're if you're having pain with the intercourse and that's not what you're feeling like doing the night, but you still kind of want to be intimate with your partner there are lots of other ways to experience pleasure <laughs> i think bonnie and i harp on this a lot this is where sometimes i get a little bit ranty i've been ranting a lot this week people have been, <laughs> I've been ranting uh is that like, the world north right yeah bonnie likes my rants the world <laughs> is really obsessed with penis vagina sex like it's mm -hmm. supposed to, like that's the ultimate but there are so many other things and i tell my patients that there is a menu of options that they can start with and if one thing is painful and you're missing intimacy for your relationship, then there are other things that you can do to promote intimacy in your relationship, right? So it doesn't, it's not always all about penis, vagina, sex. We can do other things out there, but back to communicating with your partner so they know yeah. what's on the go, right? Well, and like what we already mentioned is that something that may have been pleasurable and used to work before are, you know, sex seems to be very fluid and, you know, how we experience pleasure, you know, after a baby or, you know, 10 years into a relationship or whatever, it is if it's not working anymore try something else try you know try some different positions try you know some uh, different ways to experience pleasure different types of floor play you know you might find out that what you used to like you you know may not be your favorite thing on the menu anymore and you might want something different and that's totally fine <laughs> I think there's also something to be said for um even just trying sometimes what I, I'll do with my patients is break it up into baby steps mm -hmm. right so you might not really want to have sex but what if you guys cuddle right? And sometimes one thing will lead to another, mm -hmm. right? But if you if you put up the wall straight away is that no, right. then sometimes that's a difficult hurdle to overcome, because that can become your regular response. Right. Um, so it's trying to find, you know, other ways to be intimate, and that can be varying degrees of intimacy. Right. And something else I kind of want to talk about that there's been quite a bit of research on is uh, <laughs> kind of complying with unwanted sex. So I think we've all been in the position where 
maybe your partner really wants to have sex and you're not really in the mood, but then you might be like, okay, like fine, whatever. Uh, that's totally fine. If you don't want to have sex, that's fine too. Don't have sex. But you know, if you decide to make sure it's for reasons that we call them sort of positive reasons. So if you decide to engage in intercourse, uh, make sure it's for things like, you know, I, I decided to do it because, it, you know, it makes me, uh, it makes, it strengthens our relationship, it, you know, enhances our bond, it makes me feel good to do this for my partner. So it's kind of more of like a altruistic kind of thing, as opposed to I complied because um, I didn't want to make my partner angry. Okay, and those are what we kind of call like negative reasons. And so if you, um, if you comply for like, I, I wanted to avoid a fight or things like this, um, that will cause, can cause a lot of issues and anxiety and, you know, a lot of bad feelings. So sort of different than what Kate, obviously different than what Kate is talking about, but um, it's just, just important to kind of make sure the reasons that you may engage uh, in intimacy or intercourse or whatever, um, keep, keep in mind why you're doing it. You know, make it be a thing that it's because you want to, and there are good things, you know, you want to do this for a certain reason, um, and not because you're doing it to avoid something bad. And I think that's, I think that's a tricky topic to navigate sometimes, right? Yes, (laughs) it really is, because... uh, No, no, I think, no, and I think, I really do think you're bringing up a really good point, because a lot of women feel pressure to have intercourse, and then you have to make the ultimate decision. It's uncomfortable for me. I don't really want to do I move forward with this or not? Right. And I think and some, it's and there's a lot all of, women experience at some point. Yes, and a mm-hmm. lot of reports, and it goes both ways. So a lot of times, like, you know, a, you know, a woman might be pawing at their partner and they might not want to do it. And, and, and a lot of reports are saying like, yeah, I wasn't really in the mood and I didn't really feel like it. But once I started engaging in, you know, intimacy or sex or whatever, um, then it was good and it was fine and I enjoyed it. Right. So. Right. And I think that's where communication is important, right? Because yeah. now you're, what you're essentially doing is kind of offering a menu, right? I'm willing to try this step and then this step might lead to this step and this, right? Do you know what I mean? Yes. So I think ultimately your advice is communicating with people. And yeah, and if you, and if you start to do something and you, again, you don't, you don't, you know, like, nope, this isn't working for me today, whatever, talk to your partner, right? Yeah. And like I said, the reasons that you decide to go forth with any sexual interaction are important, right? If it's for good positive things, like I, you know, good for my relationship, this is good for me, even though I don't want to do it right now, it's going to make me feel better or, you know, any of those things like that's, you know, that's all fine. But as soon as it becomes a negative thing, like I'm doing this to avoid something or, you know, then that's, that becomes really problematic. But this is a really, this is a, a tricky time in a woman's life and in any relationships being when there's a new family member and there's all these bodily changes, this is, it's, you know, it's a difficult one to navigate. So I think it's good that we're all talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah. absolutely. Our bodies, our bodies are almost, because of this new little human, we're almost like in like stress overdrive because of being overtired and trying to keep this person alive. And like, I remember like whenever I seem to have a newborn, there's like definitely a few months, even if they're sleeping, if they like roll or make a peep, I'm like, <gasps> oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm ready to fight off a bear, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like totally. Right. <laughs> it's like a like ready, ready to go kind of <laughs> response. You know, you, you can't be getting a whole lot of rest and relaxation. It, yeah, when you're always on edge, exactly. So <laughs> how are you supposed to find the time to vacuum in stilettos? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you like, you're, yeah, exactly. you make the time, Tosh. I know, I know. Clearly I didn't <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not sure I can release my jelly bean when I'm trying to fight off a bear. Yeah. <laughs> In stilettos. The bear is not my husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, like, I think that's a good place to leave it. What does everybody else think? I think so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope you can air on. at least some <laughs> portion of this, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, most oh, I think of it it's going to be good. Yeah. I think it's oh, people are going to, this is going to be one of our best episodes. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh ladies let's give a plug one more time for your podcast uh if people want any more information or if they've got any more questions that uh you know they we didn't answer today maybe they can reach out to you anonymously thank you we appreciate that yeah our website is www.questionbox.ca and um you'll see all the information on the site you can have a read through and go to the question link if you want to submit a question and we would love to hear about you so we can do more podcasts and talk about lots of cool things we would and if you're looking for um any expertise on pelvic floor physiotherapy people are welcome to check out my website uh which is www.katiekellypt.ca pt like physiotherapy um and my email address is on there and you're i'm inviting you to ask as many questions as you would like as well but if you want a podcast done on them send them to question box yeah <laughs> that's awesome guys thank you for doing this in a, the most unconventional way on a snow day we really appreciate <laughs> <Yes>. it <laughs> our so pleasure fun. anytime i get to talk about this kind of stuff makes me happy yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap up today, a huge thank you again to our sponsor of today's podcast, Love Paws Grooming Bakery and Supplies, Inc. You can find them at 121 Pine Glen Road in Riverview and online at lovepawsgbs.com. Also on Facebook, too, Love Paws Grooming Bakery and Supplies, Inc. They've got everything for not just your dog or your cat, for all your pets right there in store.